Good morning. Good morning. We're live on CMR. Good morning, CMR land. Good morning, Blake. You're live How on Kiss you? FM. We're live already. Hello, Did you play the jingle and I missed it? Sorry, no. We didn't play it yet. <laughs> okay. Got about 40 seconds. All righty. Yeah. How are you this morning? Good. Yeah. Aaron's off again. She's still, she's got like the flu or something. Oh, gosh. I got a haircut though yesterday. What do you think? Oh. Looks, just looks short like always. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Hmm. Today is uh, Administrative Professionals Day, by the way. So don't forget all the, the people that make it make it work, make it happen. Stand by. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning, Blake. How are you this morning? Not too bad, thank you. All righty. What do you got for us for headlines? All right, so we have the uh, Royal Cayman Islands Police having a bit of an emergency press conference yesterday. I saw some of that yesterday. Mm -hmm. To discuss the uh, latest um, robbery incident, which they say um, is, you know, obviously very horrible that an innocent man lost his life in that incident, but they are appealing to the public to come forward if they may have seen anything mm -hmm. because uh, they're still very much um, working that case and they don't have any significant leads yet. They did catch some CCTV footage of two men running from the scene of the murder on Monday night. Mm. And um, they also address the increase in robberies. So there's been 13 robberies so far for 2022 and 10 of those have been armed robberies. Yeah. So they are of the opinion that um, despite Cayman being a relatively safe place, uh, which the commissioner said, that this rise is alarming and concerning. And uh, they're actually putting six dedicated officers to work, I guess, a special task force to try to solve these robberies, which they believe uh, it's just a handful of individuals that are responsible for them. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, they should, so, put out a re they should put out a reward. Is there a reward for information? Um, not specific to this case as yet. Yeah. Um, I think Crime Stoppers does like a general reward, but yeah, nothing specific to this case yet. I mean, this guy was an innocent bystander, like you said yesterday, and he had yeah. a he had a wife, he had a family, uh, just Absolutely. minding his own business. Yeah. Very very sad. Yeah. So uh, a man was arrested in West Bay, 42-year-old man, um, in relation to burglary that took place there at a residence off of uh, Powery Road. And so um, police are continuing their investigations in terms of that. So a um, bit, bit of good news, I suppose, that uh, some people are getting arrested for their offenses. So nothing yet on the missing um, drug alleged Drug boaters, uh, they are still missing. And we did mm -hmm. mention that it is a um, recovery mission now. The um, Coast Guard did mention that they found two life vests in the mangroves. And they were not sure exactly if they were related to uh, the missing boaters. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, at this rate, they may never be found realistically. That's sad. 
Yeah, sad for their families for sure. Mm. Yep. And um, a number of government officials are off island. So we have uh, the premier. He is off island attending an event um, in Miami. And um, he's also, well, the deputy premier was supposed to be there, but of course he has come down with COVID. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately he's unable to to travel at this time. But the good news um, is that the event that the premier is attending is the 14th Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum. And, and lots of people are there in attendance. We've actually got a guest who's going to be joining us this, this morning, uh, who's an MP in Bermuda, and he is also at this event as well. So the lead speaker for this event is none other than our premier, the Honorable uh, oh, Wayne wow. Hampton. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to ask you uh, just uh, really quick, because I know that you traveled personally uh, recently. Um, yes. And I wanted, to, I wanted to get your take on how travel was. How mm-hmm. is it? How is it in, in today's world? Um, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose it depends from the perspective of like the airport, how busy that is uh, when mm. you actually travel, like time of day and stuff like that. But when I was traveling, it wasn't that bad. In fact, um, I would say it was relatively normal. Like I had a friend, I had a friend that uh, recently traveled through Miami as well. He said nobody, not nobody, but majority of people in the airport. We're not wearing masks. So is that a mm. is that a thing in Miami Airport? I I honestly found that it was probably about 50-50. Okay. Um so, so it's not being know, it's not being um it's not being policed in the no, airport. No, I don't think anybody's enforcing it. But one thing I did find interesting is we went to a particular mall and mm-hmm. the signage at the mall said, listen, if you're not vaccinated, you need to wear a mask in the mall. And there were people in, in shops and in malls actually wearing a mask as well. Mm, okay. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of like 50-50. There's, I found there were still quite a number of individuals who were wearing a mask. And yeah. it's interesting that you should ask, you should say that because um, now some 60% at least of people in the U.S., um, based on testing that they've done, have proven to um, have had COVID at some point. The antibodies are present. But, you know, the CDC and others are warning people to be cautious with this data because it's not the sort of thing that you want to rely on to say, well, um, that means that I have protection against it. You still need to get vaccinated. Nearly 60% of all Americans and 75% of kids have actually been infected with the virus. But do remember that this virus can hit you more than once as well. Yeah, that's a huge number. Yeah, it is. So It's a pretty high infection rate. All right. Yeah, those are some of your headlines for today. Thank you for that. We'll catch you. I believe Erin will be back tomorrow. She's uh, feeling okay. a little under weather still yeah, with, with the flu bug going around. But uh, we'll catch you tomorrow for the Thursday show. And we'll Sounds great. listen to you right now on uh, Bobo 89.1 FM. And we'll see Thanks. you later. All right. All right. All right, folks. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone? Let me just get all my links together before we go live in about three minutes. Beautiful morning today.
peppermint, sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey chow. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Good morning, everyone. Rise and shine. It is Wednesday, April the 27th. So good to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for waking up and joining us here in Bobo 89.1 FM. And for those of you who are listening on YouTube and Facebook, uh, thank you also for joining us. So good morning. We have lots to talk about this morning. We're going to kick off the discussion on crime in the Cayman Islands. Um. Something that is obviously, you know, in the forefront of everyone's mind right now after a senseless murder that took place on uh, Monday evening. So um, the police had a press conference yesterday. We're going to get into some of those details. We have an MP from uh, Bermuda. (laughs) I I wonder if uh, my friend um, Marilyn Phillips is listening this morning. that is going to be joining us as well to talk about um, crime, you know, regionally, because a lot of these things are not happening in isolation. There are regional components um, to crime. And so we will certainly be discussing those with him as well. He's actually in, in Miami at this, at this particular time, they have a conference there in Miami. So we're going to, we are going to talk about that conference a little bit also. And um, we have some of our own MPs who are attending that conference, including our premier, who is the guest speaker at the event. So uh, kudos to Mr. Wayne Panton, um, who, uh, again, is the lead speaker at that event there in, uh, in Miami. So I'll tell you guys a little bit about that. And MP, um, I don't know, MP... Minister of Tourism Transport, Mr. Kenneth Bryan, the Honorable Kenneth Bryan, is also in Miami for another conference as well. So a few of our uh, MPs are actually traveling. So we'll give you all the details on that bit of information. So good morning to one and good morning to all. Let's see who is here with us. 936-2626 is the number to call into the studio. That's 936-BOBO. So let's see how many Bobos and TDs we got. Good morning on our live. We've got Ervalyn. Good morning. Um, she says good morning to Blake, who we were on with earlier. Diamond Princess is here. Says good morning to everyone. Louis joins us from Detroit. Louis says uh, good morning, Sandra and the CMR fam. Happy hump day, everyone. Uh, we can get through this. The day has just started, so all is possible. Such positivity this morning. I love it. Very, very good. Uh, Juan, good morning, Juan. He says, morning, Sandy. God bless you. Thank you so much, Juan. Marshall is here from North Carolina. The beautiful Olivia has got it locked. Wee Wee is here. Andy is joining us. Good morning, Sir Andy. Are you in, uh, tell us again, Andy, where you are. I feel like you're in Texas or somewhere. Uh, Milani, good morning to you. Um, 
Irvlin says no sound. That was earlier. So hopefully she's hearing everything. Um, Chantel, Miss Sue's here. Uh, Damaris is watching from Queens, New York. Thank you. Hi, Miss Iva. How are you? We've got Miss Sheila, Ingrid, Richard joining us with his beautiful wife, Celine. They're tuned in every morning with a cup of coffee or tea, I'm sure. Uh, Patricia is here. Everton is also here. And uh, Robert and Christopher, good morning, good morning, good morning. So thank you guys so much for tuning into the program. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Someone said it sounds good and clear on the radio, so we are good to go. Ah, so someone says, does Cayman have city watch operators? I don't know what that is. Um, but we will find out more. All right. Um, yep. Okay. All right. So Mr. Famous will jump in at some point um, in the conversation, but let's talk a little bit about what came out of the press conference yesterday in case you missed it. Now we literally almost missed it ourselves because we got a notification at 424, I think it was. So literally 36 minutes beforehand that there was a press conference. Now, I don't know about y'all, but uh, that's a little bit tight on the schedule. So we can't just j drop everything else. You know, here at CMR, um, <laughs> you know, I'm a mother. So I have I have my first duty in life, which is being a good mother. And I've got to pick up my daughter from school and I've got responsibilities as it relates to her. Now, if something comes up and I know well enough in advance, we can make arrangements, folks. Um, you know, I've got a, a little team behind behind the home life that kind of makes things happen. But literally at 424, I'm trying to get to her already to pick her up from school. So it wasn't enough notice. I, I have to tell you, I was a bit... Um, <laughs> what's, what's the best word to, to use this morning? I was a bit annoyed. Uh, that I had gotten such late notice because I really would have loved to have been there because, you know, at the end of the day, folks, we are um, really invested in this particular crime, this particular murder, because this was a completely innocent man who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes, he might have been there buying numbers, but that's not the kind of thing that you expect to lose your life over. So when I got an email Saying, oh, we're having a press conference at five o'clock. My first response was, look at my watch and go, huh? 36 minutes notice? Are you kidding me? Anyway, um, I did reach out to the RCIPS and I responded to their email and I said, listen, 30 minutes or 36 minutes is just not enough time of notice of anything <laughs> for me to be able to show up to. So, you know, it. Uh, a little bit unfortunate because we wanted to be there. And I said, was anybody going to be live streaming the event like any government official? And they said, no, they were not. But, um, you know, I, I just was not, not pleased. So I did reach out to the commissioner and he extended his apologies. And in fact, he said that what happened was um, they forgot about us. So they did send out invites earlier. And they just literally forgot to invite us. And um, it, it sounds like probably the PR person forgot to invite us. And it was him that then said, uh, have you sent out um, something? So this is what he said. He said, good evening. This is at 6.36 responding to my email of 5.03 saying 36 minutes notice is hardly enough time. I actually plan to attend an event. And he says, uh, many thanks for your email and apologies 
for the late notice this evening, it was only uh, it was only shortly before a planned conference that I was advised that you had not been included in the invite list inadvertently, and I then requested that you um, I then requested that you then be invited. Please be sure that this was not intentional, and I'm in the office if you wish to ring me and speak. Um, about any aspects of it, I'm at liberty to discuss. If required, please provide me uh, with your direct phone number. So I appreciated that, um, Commissioner Police, Mr. Derek uh, Byrne, and um, hopefully, you know, the next one will get sufficient notice. But listen, despite us not being there, you guys know we know what happened. <laughs> we got all the information. So I want to bring you guys up to speed on essentially what the commissioner said. So big shout out to Kevin Watler, who was able to um, tune in and pay attention and give us uh, some notes. So I'm just going to go through essentially um, some of the notes that were provided by Kevin in relation to what was said. So the first thing of interest is that we've had what appears to be an increase in uh, robberies this year. So we're only in April of 2022. This is the end of April, obviously. And so far we have had um, 13, is it 13? Hold on one second. We have had 13 robberies this year and 10 out of the 13 have been armed robberies. So I do, I don't know that he compared it to other years, but I feel like um, the armed robberies part is the part that is obviously um, most concerning <clears throat> for us and obviously most concerning for the police as well. So generally speaking, there seems to be an uptick uh, in armed robberies. They've recovered three firearms this year um, compared to six last year. So six for the entire year of 2021. And here we are in the first quarter of the year and we've already recovered three firearms. I think it's safe to say that we will exceed the six firearms that were recovered uh, last year. And I guess recovery of firearms is a good thing because we're getting them off the streets, but it also probably means that there are more firearms on the streets, which is not a good thing. So that's uh, obviously very, very concerning. Now yesterday, on yesterday's program, I know we were having a discussion about where these firearms are coming from. And I've since spoken to a number of individuals. Listen, I'm no, I'm no expert in uh, anything really. Well, I shouldn't say that, but I'm no expert in the criminal elements of uh, what's happening in the Cayman Islands, but I do have you know, a lot of connections um, here, there, and everywhere. And I must tell you folks that when I said to, um, I was speaking to a few people and I gave them some feedback on yesterday's discussion because some of y'all get offended when we speak the truth around here and I don't really know why. But we said that you know the vast majority of firearms come through the Jamaica route. Okay. Now, if you're listening to this and you get offended by that, I have to ask you why. Because if it's the truth, it's the truth. I didn't say every single firearm comes through the Jamaican route. I said the vast majority. And the reason for that is that is the route that, um, you know, the canoe boats, the drug boats are coming in illegally. And I hear that they come in with a degree of frequency and we have to talk with the Coast Guard and the RCIPS to see what we can do to bolster the um, protection and monitoring of our shorelines, but they come in under the cover of darkness. And there are boats that come in that we don't know anything about. So when I spoke to my sources, uh, one of them said, I'm gonna just read to you how this person 
uh, worded it because I said, in your opinion, he's he's on the front lines. I said, in your opinion, where do you think most of the guns are coming from? And do we actually have any stats? So he said, well, between the RCIPS and the CBC, they should have something. But he said, if you base it on detections, listen carefully to this, um, there has to be more detection in cargo than in canoes bringing drugs in. So, you know, we might be able to tell you more accurately what's coming in in a cargo container than we do on a um, canoe boat. And here's why. He says, that said, as soon as a canoe is detected, there are also items being tossed overboard. And based on the fact that they're never seen to float, it's safe to assume that it's contained something heavy. So uh, when these guys are being caught, the first thing they do is dump their load if they can. Now, this last drug boat, uh, which came in over the weekend, wasn't able to dro drop the 900 pounds of ganja. Instead, they dropped um, some of the men on the boat who presumably have probably now drowned. Uh, if they made it to shore, you know, they may be out there involving themselves in some illegal activity. Now, I have sat in court before and I've made some observations about uh, some of the individuals that come in. And I remember a couple months ago now, there was a guy who was caught on one of these drug boats and um, he was begging. This was during the more stringent lockdown and he had to go into immediate quarantine and he was begging the judge to not um, have him placed in isolation, basically in quarantine. And the judge was like, um, okay, you're still innocent until proven otherwise, but these are the protocols of this country. Like, why would you put yourself in a position of doing this sort of activity during a time like COVID when yes, you come here and you have to put be placed in um, isolation all by yourself. And he was literally begging like, oh, he doesn't want to be in isolation. I'm thinking, uh, son, you're going to be in jail anyway. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's not, I guess having a little bit of company in jail is helpful, but um, they were definitely going to be placing him in isolation. So um, it is interesting when people want to argue with me that that's not how the drugs are coming in. And they're like, oh, they're coming in on fishing boats. And I said, well, here's the thing. Fishing boats and other cargo is regularly checked. Now, I'm not saying that CBC catches everything, but we've got a fandangling scanner that I believe is now working. I'll double check, but I think they um, may have fixed it or gotten a new scanner that's supposed to be scanning containers. We've got CBC employees who are doing you know, manual searches and stuff as well. So those are subject to search and seizure. The drug boats, which we don't even know when they're coming, how many we've missed and all that sort of thing, uh, we just don't know. But the streets are talking and the streets do share a lot of information if you actually pay attention. And I feel confident in saying that the vast majority of, uh, of the vast majority of, um, the vast majority of the drugs, uh, Drugs and illegal boats that make it into this country actually come through um, through that that method. So I've just received word um, that um, the premier is actually about to speak at his conference. So we'll see if we can get some information on that. Um, All right, so good luck to him this morning.
So, you know, uh, the, um, it becomes evident then that we need to really try to address this issue as much as possible. So thanks, um, Kevin, again, for sending us some real-time stats from the RCIPS. So we had 16 robberies and three attempted robberies. Um, was that last year? Yes, in 2021. So already at 13 robberies, you can obviously see that we're going to be um, well superseding, um, surpassing the number of robberies compared to this time or the entire year last year. So the entire year last year, we had 16 robberies and three attempted robberies. Here we are in April of 2022, four months in, and we've already had 13 robberies and 10 of those being armed robberies. So in uh, some additional stats based again on the RCAPS's crime um, and statistic report, which I think they just came up with a couple of weeks ago, there were 57 firearms um, enabled crimes in 2021. And that was compared to 30 in 2020. So there is a marked increase, almost double between the 2020 stats and the 2021 stats. Having said that, realistically, we have to know that in 2020, most of this country was in lockdown. So I'm not necessarily surprised to see that crime, and I, I would be interested to know what the stats were for like 2019 and 2018, as opposed to 2020, because in 2020 was just a, an anomaly of a year in terms of information. A lot of stuff would have decreased just because we were in lockdown and even the criminals would have been in lockdown and forced to stay home as well. So of the 57 firearm crimes uh, last year, there were 30, which were specific firearms related crimes. And the remaining um, were where a firearm was either seen or used in the commission of the offense. And the crimes where a firearm was involved included murder, attempted murder, robbery, and drug offenses, public order, or other weapon related offenses. So again, this is reading from the crime uh, traffic statistics statistical report from the RCIPS, and that's available on their website if anyone is interested in having a look at that. So uh, definitely an increase, and uh, it's it's alarming. Now the RCIPS also said um, that they, um, you know are of the opinion that the crimes are being committed by just a handful of individuals, which is interesting because hmm, uh, they're very busy, is all I can tell you. So um, if it's the situation where it's five or six people uh, committing this type of information or this type of crime, then I'm a bit uh, perplexed as to um, how that can be. But it just shows you that these individuals are obviously extremely busy. So we do have a link if you guys are interested, I can share this for you. Um, so in 2019, here's interesting bit of information, serious crime commissions in the Cayman Islands decreased by 14% compared to 2018. And the overall levels of crime remained stable and controlled in 2019, but total volume of crime increased by less than 1%. So they, they essentially um, said that part of the reason for that is that uh, in 2019, they felt like um, witness or victims were more likely to report crimes than in previous years. 
28% increase in domestic violence referrals and a 33% increase in child safeguarding referrals, which um, we have talked about child safeguarding here in this program before. And obviously we will continue to talk about it because it remains um, an area of, of grave concern. Let me just see what we have here. So robberies in 2019 went down 37%, burglaries were down 34%. And again, that was comparing it to the year before, which would have been 2018. Um, in 2019, they recovered nine illegal firearms, a quantity of ammunition and drugs with an estimated street value of 4.2 million, uh, that's KYD, Cayman Islands dollars. And in addition to that, there was 4,000 102 pounds of gander seized at sea and prevented from reaching your islands. That's a bit of good news. Um, so it looks like 2019 was a pretty good year for policing and, and crime fighting here in the Cayman Islands um, with a significant reduction in robberies, but now we see it creeping up again. So of course the question becomes why? Why do we see these, uh, you know, sort of cyclical increases and decreases in crime. So what's different with 2022 versus uh, 2019? And um, like I said, I'm just going to leave 2020 out of the equation because that year would have been a bit of an anomaly. But it's really, really interesting um, in terms of what sort of factors could be contributing to this. Most people want to blame everything in COVID. So I'm well aware that most people say, oh, you know, it's because people are in lockdown and, um, you know, people are struggling financially. I mean, I, I don't know that, um, that that leads people to commit the crimes that they do. Because again, I do sit there in court and I notice the type of people that are being charged with these offenses. And these are not people who are out there like legitimately looking for a job and couldn't find a job and just turned to a life of crime. These are criminals regardless. <laughs> I mean, they've been you know at it for a while. Uh, sometimes you see youth offenders who are starting to really pick up with their criminal activity. And so, um, you know, I don't necessarily know that that is a contributing factor. I think we need more, more information, more data in that. But I think it's just part of how the cycle of crime probably works as well. And a continued increase in, you know, people um, coming into the country, um, you know, is... Uh, coming into the country through illegal means in particular is definitely, in my opinion, one of the contributing factors. So 936-2626 is the number. Good morning to Robert. Um, Lennon says the roots, greed and opportunism, both local and imported, local laziness, envy, drug use, um, malparenting, and kids raised and educated in stressed environments. Thank you so much for that, Lennon. It reminds me of the Yolanda Ford report, which talked about some of those things when it comes to um, criminality. You know, we keep talking about this report. How many of you have ever even looked at the report, even, even just glanced at it? Because if you haven't, uh, it would do you well to have a look at this report. I can't remember how much we paid um, for this report. Let me just see here if I can find it. But we, we paid a, a good penny. And the name of the report, all 273 pages of it, is the predisposing factors to criminality in the Cayman Islands. So when you talk about wanting to address crime in this country, this is your go-to document. This tells you the root cause of it. 
And when you know the cause, then you can um, you know, develop programs around what the causes are to address it. And the bottom line is criminals don't just become criminals overnight. Like I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, okay, I'm going to go and rob Domino's. Let me just become a criminal and go grab a, a gun and start going around robbing places and robbing people. Uh, normally it starts from a very young age. These um, criminals are growing up, as Lennon said, in dysfunctional environments. They're growing up with parents who don't care, who are not doing the best job. They're, they're minimally, they're, they're not um, raising their children. They're dragging their children up, as Kim Andens would say. And so, you know, uh, more and more children, unfortunately, are being brought up in that type of an environment right? Those are the same kids that when we sit here and we talk about the bullying in school and we show you all the fight videos, you look at who those kids are, the ones who are instigating this activity, who are involved in that activity, and you give them another five to 10 years and they're going to be the criminals of tomorrow. So they're little criminals in, in training right now. And if we don't start to put programs in place that kind of address the situation um, and give them alternative things to do that are productive and, you know, um, really try to show them that this might be your home life, but there's something else out there. Big Brothers with Sister programs, they show children that, you know what, this might be your home, but this isn't necessarily a quote unquote normal environment. There are other people who grew up in a very different environment and there are opportunities that can be created for you, uh, Mr. Murray with the Boys to Men program is an excellent example of that. My concern with a program like the Boys to Men program is it should be all year. And it's more of a, a grooming program that is for a duration of time. And then they kind of you know come out of the program, they have their, their final dinner and that's it. Well, we need programs that are long-term sustainable programs. Because if you think about it this way, right? You are what you know, and what you know tends to be your home environment. So you grew up in a home of violence, dysfunctionality, abuse, um, whatever else, right? That's what you know. And if that's all you know, and that's all you're exposed to, what are you going to become? The chances of you ever becoming anything else when you've never been exposed to anything else even is really slim to none. So we have to offset those high-risk children with some sort of alternative option. Now, one thing that is very, very obvious is um, you need to be able to get the parents' help, right? Now, it's a lot changer, a lot changer. It's a lot harder to change a parent than it is to influence a child. So you might have a parent who, depending on how young they start, you know, might be in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, but that's 20, 30, 40 plus years of living that type of lifestyle and being exposed to whatever they have been exposed to. If you take a five-year-old or you take a six-year-old or even a 10-year-old, right, that's a lesser amount of time that you have to undo the damage that has been caused. And it's easier to undo psychological damage, it's easier to um, try to repair broken individuals when you get them at a younger age. When you get to, it's not impossible. I'm not saying it's impossible for a 20, 30, or 40 year old to change their life. I'm just saying that it becomes that much more challenging and difficult for them to do so. What do you guys think? 936-2626 uh, is the number.
you know, I, I'm speaking from a little bit of personal experience here. Even some kids, when they grew up in that environment, by the time you reach them 10, 12 years old, it is a little bit harder to bend that tree. And that's why, you know, a lot of people say when it comes to parenting, hmm, you don't start parenting your children when they're 10 years old. It's kind of, I don't want to say too late, but it's kind of late in the day. When you see them at two and three, and even before that, engaging in behavior and doing things that you might think is funny and laughable and, oh, that's cute because they're a little baby or they're a little toddler, that behavior then develops into more serious issues. So parenting courses, I think, is one thing that we should be offering more of if I don't even know if we have any in this country. I don't really hear about any uh, sustainable parenting courses at all. You know, when you're having a baby, the hospital offers you some prenatal training. So they'll, you know, you can do like CPR, you can do baby CPR, you can do, um, you know, how to swaddle a baby when the, when you take the baby home, what are some of the things that you can kind of expect? It's like a, maybe a month long course, you go like once a week or whatever. It's barely enough, believe me you. But what about just how to discipline your kids? Um, positive disciplining options as opposed to just beating your kids all the time, which is then teaching them that violence somehow works when it really actually doesn't. Um, you know, there's so many topics in terms of like parenting that I could, I could make a whole list of stuff, right? And I don't see anything like that being offered. I don't know, uh, DCFS, do they do any kind of parenting classes? I don't know whose responsibility this would fall under social services. Um, I don't know exactly who it falls under, but I just know that there's not enough of it being offered, if any at all. And the few times that someone has pointed out to me like, oh, uh, the Family Resource Center is having this training program, it's after the fact and no one knew about it because there's no effective uh, marketing or information being put out there um, in terms of how to get access to these courses. And that's unfortunate because you have to, you have to help people. Sometimes people might have, you know, they know they're in a situation. They might even have the desire to change. Uh, some people don't, but a lot of people may have the desire to change, but they just don't know how to do it. And that is where I think the government becomes a, a required element of the equation. And they can be extremely effective by putting programs in place that allow parents to learn. Now, y'all know me already. I'm like, listen, by the time that person has a baby, far as I'm concerned, that the parenting class is already too late. You need to start from middle and high school, right? Not encouraging children to have sex and engage in that type of behavior, but you need to start talking to them about, um, you know, life skills. And that includes if you decide to become a parent young, this is how it's going to impact your life. If you start having kids at 15 and 16 years old, you know, the chances of you yourself being able to get a good job, a good education, all these other things are going to deteriorate, deteriorate significantly. And what does that mean then by extension about the quality of life that your own children will have? You see, you gotta, you gotta think about these things. And as far as I'm concerned, if a 15 year old or even younger is already starting to have adult thoughts in their mind about engaging in sexual activity, you need to pump those brakes and you need to talk to them about the reality of them making those types of decisions way too soon because it will have some real life implications. Uh, again, 
you know, you'll hear the anomaly. I'm sure there's somebody right now watching this program who's like, Sandy, I was a teen mom, but look at me. I eventually got a degree. And I'm like, yeah, good for you, but you're not going to be the norm. You're the exception. And so when we seek to use examples that are the exception and not the norm, we really um, do ourselves a disservice. Because the vast majority of people who find themselves in that situation, unfortunately, are not going to be able to pull themselves out. And then that has an impact on the life of all of your children. Right? I mean, I've had conversations with young people in Cayman. They're at baby number four, 25, 26 years old. And I've said, young lady, mm, maybe it's time you consider getting your tubes tied. Because obviously you're very fertile. And um, they're like, oh, but Miss Sandy, what if when I'm like 45, I want to have another baby? I was like, are you kidding me? This, is, this, is, this was the exact conversation. I said, honey, nobody who's 45 years old uh, has a child or wants to have another child if they've already had four. I mean, to me, that doesn't make any sense. You're done with your child rearing. You're like most of your kids, if you started young enough, by the time you're 45, you're done. Why would you go back and start all over again? And I said, Let, let's talk about some of the practical, um, you know, aspects of what you just said to me. You have four children, no education, right? Your chances of getting you a job that is going to pay more than $25, maybe $3,000 a month, if you're lucky, is slim to none. Mm-hmm. So what's the game plan? How many of your children do you think you're going to be able to get an education, go off to university if they want, if that's what they want, or get a real skill? You know, they're growing up in a home environment where because you're trying to hustle and work probably multiple jobs and whatever and still trying to socialize and go out to the nightclub, um, your children don't even get one-on-one -on -one time with you. So they, they come as a batch. It's like everybody sits down together. Uh, you might have dinner together if they're lucky. It's every activity is a batch activity. You can't pull one child aside and say, you know what, um, little Joe, as an example, you and I are going to go out today and this is mommy and Joe time. We're going to spend time together. Nobody else is coming with us. Daddy's not coming. Nobody. It's just me and you. We're going to have a bonding opportunity. I'm going to get to know you as an individual child because every child is different. And, you know, to develop that rapport and that bond. No, no, I'm like, honey, none of that is going to happen. You know, and yes, you do have a husband, but, you know, husbands and wives come and go. And uh, again, he doesn't have a degree. He doesn't have much of an education. He's always going to be a, a bottom of the ring um, laborer, no management, no opportunities to climb up the ladder. You know, it's astonishing to me how few people actually think about these things in a practical way. And the reason why I think about it in a practical way, because I had someone who was sitting down with me and saying, if you decide to have children, these are the things that you need to consider and the things that you need to talk to think about. Children cost money and you need to be able to dedicate time to children because it's not just about the money. You know what I'm saying? You need to sit down with them and do their daily readings and help them with homework. And if you have a full-time job, that's all taxing on your time. So then the person said, well, you know, what about when I have, you know, I have my own house. And I said, and how are you going to get that house? You know, I had to really break it down and force this individual to think about some of the notions that they had been entertaining in their head and whether or not they were entirely realistic. And at the end of the conversation, it took a while, 
it was more than one conversation and it took a while. The person said, you know what? I think you're right. I think four kids in this day and age, especially is enough because we no longer live in an environment where somebody else is going to help me raise my child, right? The grandparents are out there trying to pay their own bills. They're busy. They're hustling. There's not that community where maybe 40, 50 years ago that we had, uh, you know, we had stay at home moms, people were helping each other out. That type of community no longer exists. So good morning to Emma. Good morning, Miss Sue. Uh, Juanita from Georgia is joining us. Good morning. She says, good morning. I love the program. Thank you so much, Miss Juanita. Miss um, Beulah, good morning to you. Um, Irvlin says in relation to the police, then they should not call it a press conference. That's more of a staff meeting. Well, I don't even know who was there. I, I reached out to Wendy over at CNS. Um, I've not gotten a response back from her, but I don't know if Wendy was there, if she was able to make it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's only so many media houses in Cayman now anyway, right? Good morning to Miss Bonnie. Miss Virtuous says, blessed good morning. Louie wants to know how difficult is it to obtain a license to have a firearm? Well, it's a lot more difficult than you think, but we're not talking about people here who have uh, legal firearms. That's not, they're not the ones who are going out there um, committing crimes. It's the illegal firearms that are entering our country mm -hmm, that we're concerned about. Those are the ones that are used in the commission of these um, offenses. And in fact, Louie, um, Danny Warren Jr. can speak to that particular question, but do you know that there's such a thing as a community firearm here in the Cayman Islands? I don't know how prevalent it is right now with the increase in availability of firearms, but a lot of these gangs that we have in the Cayman Islands, what they do is they will have a firearm that they use in the commission of offenses, and then they take the firearm, they leave it in a community spot. So say it's under the breadfruit tree in goat yard, house number, so-and-so, you know, under the breadfruit tree is where we stick this gun all the time, right? So everybody in the neighborhood who's part of the gang knows that, okay, if you need the gun for something, it's going to be under the grapefruit tree. You go get the gun, you use it, and then you put it back. People in this country have lost their lives because they didn't follow the gang rules of putting the gun back. So if you don't put the gun back and you try to keep it for yourself, that would be a big no-no because it's a community-insured gun. So it's not necessarily that every gang member is going to have a gun. Now, I found this interesting when I first heard about this a number of years ago. I'm like, hmm, a community weapon? That's super interesting. I didn't know that that's how it worked. And so there are rules that you need to play by when you have these community weapons. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, a message here from our sponsor. We'll be right back after these messages. At Innovative Building Products, we provide professional builders and homeowners with the highest quality materials from top brands worldwide. Tiling tools, waterproofing systems, fin sets, self-levelers, grout, along with porcelain floor and wall tiles. Our products are 100% guaranteed, promise 100% satisfaction, and beat competitor pricing. Pallets of materials are ready to go. Quick and easy convenience to get you in and out within five minutes. Let's get to um, some of those. So we have someone here who shares that um, the Family Resource Center has many excellent 
parenting programs, but little take up from people, even those sent by the court. Some young girls don't think beyond the baby shower. Um, I think it's so interesting when a young, uh, like a teenager gets pregnant, that people throw them this big elaborate baby shower. Um, I kind of feel a little bit, listen, I'm a little bit old fashioned and I'm willing to admit it with the way that I think about parenting and some of these things. You know, I was never going to be the girl because again, I grew up in a family where these are the things that cause people to have dysfunctional um home environments, I was never going to be the girl that was going to be a single parent. I was like, no, if I'm, if that is going to be my life, then, you know, I'm just not going to do it. It <laughs> was, was the decision that I concluded to. But when I found the person that I thought, okay, this person is going to be a good parent. And for me, the most important thing in a spouse isn't even that they're like a great spouse to me, you know, cause I can see how sometimes you're like, eh, yeah, you love this person. You like this person. But, you know, people get on your nerves all the time. Depending on your personality, sometimes it's really easy for people to get on your skin and get on your nerves. For me, the number one priority priority or criteria was their parenting skills. Like, I'll compromise on maybe a few other things. I'll give and take here and there. But if this person's going to be a fantastic parent, a great parent, and you can see that, um, you know, through the way that perhaps that they were raised, environment that they were raised in and whatever, to me, that was like, ooh, Mm-mm-mm. he's a keeper, right? Um, now, I find that a lot of people don't necessarily look for those criteria. So say, for example, you've got a guy who already has five, six children out there and he's not supporting any of his kids and you're going to jump in a relationship with him and be like, oh, well, baby number seven, my kid, it's, it's going to be different. And I'm looking at you going, why would it be different? He has demonstrated to you the type of person he is. Anyone who can go around throwing their seeds so nonchalantly with all these girls and then don't even take care of children, uh, not supporting them, gives them a little $25 for the month and think that I can buy or do anything for a child, doesn't spend time with the children, to me, and then is irresponsible enough to keep having children, I'm just like, uh, you think he's a winner because? And every girl always thinks that they're going to be able to change a man. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to be the one. He's going to treat me differently. He has a he has a record of beating up girlfriends and whatever, domestic abuse, but nope, not going to happen to me. I'm going to be the one. And I always go, wow, you're beyond optimistic, right? So practicality of your decisions in life, right? But being a good parent is so important. Someone who will put their children first and who will prioritize their children. You know, he's going to keep that job and maintain a stable job because he's got to provide for his family, provide for his kid. And same thing with women as well. And when we have young people that, you know, they're kind of mature beyond their years. They're already pregnant. I'm not saying when a young girl becomes pregnant, you send her off to the, the convent like what they used to do back in the day. I'm not saying put a scarlet letter on her and shame her into oblivion, right? The child is already, hey, the baby's coming. You can't, once that has happened, you can't really change that. And you have got to support this young lady. But to me, supporting her doesn't mean having this lavish baby shower and I've seen them all over social media where, you know, you're giving her gifts and all this kind of expensive stuff. 
Reporting her maybe is like, you know what, let me find out who could help you with this baby so you can finish high school. Because that's going to kind of be important for your future. Let's see how you can go to university after you finish high school. Let's make sure that there's funding in place for you to be able to do that. So this individual says that the Family Resource Center does offer um, a lot of excellent parenting programs. Again, I don't personally see them, and I don't know, I don't know where, where are they being offered at? Like, how are they being advertised? Because uh, if people don't know that these things are available, and um, you know, you're not going into neighborhoods, perhaps, and sometimes I suppose you gotta uh, knock on doors and that sort of thing to get people to know. Uh, what is available to them, there could be a really good reason why people are simply not showing up. Here's another observation. Unless the law has changed, women weren't allowed to get their tubes tied without their father's or husband's permission. Um, one, I kid you not. Okay, let me talk about that because this is a real thing. So the conversation that I was just talking to you guys about with this young lady, this happened, uh, I want to say around 2017, 2018, right? She had at baby number three wanting wanted to get her tubes tied and was told by the HSA, just like this person said, was told by a physician at the HSA that she couldn't do it. And I was really surprised to hear that. And over the years, I mean, I've posted about this before, and there are women who have come forward who have said that they were told by HSA physicians that if they were unmarried, they needed the permission of a father. If they were married, they need a permission of the husband or the baby daddy. And especially if they were under 25, they didn't want to do it. And I was like, how can a physician tell you what to do or what to not do with your body? And I found it, I found it extremely unbelievable. So I reached out to Lizette Yearwood years ago and I said, Lizette, I keep hearing this story persistently and I have no reason to not believe these women. And this is shocking to me that any physician, or I'm, I'm asking her now, is this an HSA policy? And she actually said to me, this is not an HSA policy. Um, sometimes physicians will make recommendations. So they might say, oh, you're too young. You might still have a couple good childbearing years in you, whatever. Are you sure this is what you wanna do? But they should not be telling someone that they cannot get their tubes tied um, or that they need somebody else's permission to do so. So this is fascinating to me because that's exactly what their physicians were doing. I even got the name of physicians and I told her and she said, well, I'm going to talk to these physicians because they shouldn't be doing it. I said, maybe you need to do more than that. You need to send out a policy-wide memo to let the HSA staff know that, um, you know, that they are not permitted to do that. You can give someone advice on the pros and cons, but the decision is ultimately theirs to make. And yes, to that uh, listener to the program, that was happening. Now, I certainly hope that it still isn't happening. I don't know. Um, because if it is, once again, that's a grave concern. But I can tell you that happened to this same young lady. At baby number three, she had decided that she was done. And they told her no, they wouldn't do it. And then next thing you know, here comes baby number four again. And to me, the irony of that, right? And I think I might have said this to Lizette at the time. I said, you know what is so funny? Is the, the physicians who are telling you you can't get your tubes tied are not going to be helping you raise this child or any of your children. 
they're not going to be making donations to the baby fund, the education fund, nothing. A lot of them are from a particular Caribbean culture where I guess that's how it is. You know, you just have as many babies as you possibly can and there's no concept of like birth control or, okay, I'm done. Let me have my tubes tied. Like none of that. Uh, the men certainly don't believe in having a vasectomy. And so the childbearing responsibility and the birth control responsibilities fall squarely on the shoulders of women. And that's why I'm like, listen, if, if that's going to fall on me and I'm going to be, because listen, ultimately the women get stuck with the children, right? A man can come and go, but once they're yours, not many women are going to be walking away from that situation. And if that's the case, then nobody has the right to tell me what to do with my body. So I'm hoping to that listener that that has now been rectified. Uh, if it hasn't, and if you are listening to this program and you have been told recently in recent times that you can't get a vasectomy, a vasectomy if you're a man or as a woman, that you can't get, and they weren't really doing it with men, I should note, but there's probably not a lot of men rushing out there to get a vasectomy anyway. But if you can't get a tubal ligation uh, because they're telling you, oh, you're not, you're not old enough, or you know, once you're over the age of 18, uh, you don't need anybody's permission to do something with your body. So good morning to Tracy. Um, good morning to Jonathan. Charlene is here. Okay, cases, Sandy, you look pretty there, looking like a schoolgirl. Yes, it's this top. <laughs> it's this new top that I'm wearing. It does look like um, what primary school would this be? I forget which one does the burgundy and white. So their school uniforms kind of look like this a little bit. Uh, Darlene says children should be introduced to this program from in primary school. So I do believe, again, programs need to have a longer, like, right. You start in primary school and you offer them through middle school and all the way up through high school. Absolutely. What about personal responsibility and accountability? Says Flashpoint. I'm all for personal responsibility and accountability, but I also think, um, Flashpoint, that you have to recognize that if people don't have the skills, like I'm a firm believer that with most people, if they know better, they do better. And so a lot of times we have an expectation of people that is not realistic because they don't have the skills to do any better. Now, there are people out there who are breaking laws and they know better and they should be doing better. And I'm all for personal responsibility and accountability, a thousand percent. But let us also be community minded in the sense that we want to help people to be their best on a personal level be their best in a family, be their best professionally, right? So we do have our guest, um, Mr. Thomas Famous, MP for um, Bermuda. I know I'm always mispronouncing it. Where, where's my um, pronunciation police? Uh, good morning, my dear. How are you? Mr. Thomas, can you hear me? Yep. Morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I know you're taking some time out of your busy schedule there in Miami um, to join us on the program this morning. So we've seen a recent uptick in crime here in the Cayman Islands. Um, 13 robberies so far for 2022. 10 of the 13 have been armed robberies. Are you guys having a similar uptick in crime in your country? Have you guys noticed anything of interest in the last year or so? All right, let me um, let me not forget my manners. Uh, good morning to the people of Cayman Islands, Grand Cayman, Little Cayman, and Cayman Brack. Um, insofar as crime uptick, it's happening throughout 
the region, I would say. Um, if you look on the news on Virgin Island news or Turks and Caicos news or Bermuda news, there has been an uptick in crime. Um, so it's not isolated to any one island. Any idea what's driving it? What do you guys think in your in your country that's driving it? Um, I think I think one of the common trends we you know we have to be a little blunt and honest with each other, right? The majority of people who are committing crimes are persons who are male, number one, black, number two, right, and three, uh, most importantly. Uh, unskilled, unemployed, and a lot of these crimes are opportunistic crimes. They aren't, they aren't um, freaking out how to rob, rob a bank. They're just like, okay, um, my, my condolences also to the family of the former prison officer who was murdered. Um, they aren't trying to figure out how to rob a bank. They're, they're looking at low-hanging fruit, right. how, to, how to steal, or in some cases it's... Um, I don't want to say gang related, but it, it goes beyond just a simple robbery. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, you know, the Cayman Islands government a number of years back, back in 2015, uh, 2005, sorry, in 2006, commissioned a criminologist, a consultant criminologist by the name of Yolanda Ford to write this report, which was then submitted to the Honorable Samuel Bulgin, who was the attorney general, even at that time about what the predisposing factors were to criminality in the Cayman Islands. And um, she had a number of findings, and you're absolutely right when you point out, you know, low educational achievements. So (laughs) under Chapter 3, when it talked about education and school preferences and discussion of the findings, low educational achievement was one, learning deficiencies, delinquency in school, and what those implications were. So some of the exact same things that you're talking about um, are certainly uh, elements of criminality that were brought out in this report. And then we've had this report since 2006. And I wonder, you know, wh- why do you think we can't get it right? Like, is it is it that difficult to address uh, some of these issues? As legislators, you're a legislator. All right, so let's, um, and again, let me be a bit blunt. A, leg- a legislator, rather, whatever island or country, and your your job is to put things in place for to protect your people or to give them ability to to succeed, uh, whether it's through business, education. So, what you have in the overseas territories is you, we have let's let's keep it real. We have some of the more successful economists in the region. Um, mm-hmm. Cayman Islands being kind of on top of that list. But if you have young people who, specifically males, who either uh, don't take advantage of the opportunity to learn a trade or learn a skill, at age 18, they're going to be graduating. Um, by age 20, they might have a child or something. And next thing you know, they, they need money, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they always need money. So you go look for a job and your skill sets are low. You're, you're not going to get a job or you're not going to get a job that's paying you what you need to survive. That's when you start turning to crime. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm no criminologist, but the trend is pretty simple. 
the trend is pretty common in all the islands. When you look at who are the persons who are being convicted of, of crimes, there's a common trend, right? And you're not finding someone who's a highly skilled mason or highly skilled plumber committing these sorts of crimes. So I, I bring that back to the point that is there only so much a government can do? A government cannot force a young man or a young person to go learn a trade. That comes on to individual responsibility, parental responsibility, community responsibility. One of the challenges that we have in the overseas territories is that many of our young people don't do not want to go into any trade. They mm. feel they can either go into business or go into uh, tourism and don't have a skill set, right? And it doesn't work that way. That's not the reality. Mm -hmm. hmm. Very interesting. We've got some viewer comments here. Um, Soka says, here, here they come. My mom and dad, it beat me half to death and I turned out okay. No, you didn't turn out okay because you still think violence is how you how you're correct and slave mentality is alive and well. One of the things that's interesting, I want to touch on this briefly, and I know that this could be a whole topic on its own, um, Mr. Famous, but in the Caribbean, we have been raised, and I think it's fair to say that this is pervasive across all the Caribbean cultures. So whether it's a Cayman Islands, Jamaica, uh, Bermuda, um, you know, Trinidad, and Tobago, anywhere, uh, we have been raised with this mentality that you you beat your children and that's your primary mean of uh, means of correcting behavior and controlling them. And so most of the people who end up in jail, funny enough, have been a product of that environment. They have been a product of um, corporal punishment. And yet, quite oddly, you know, we see people sit back and say, well, because they're no longer able to beat kids in schools, because, you know, we've said that, hold on a minute, that goes against human rights, et cetera, et cetera. So because it's been removed from the schools, but it still is very much happening in the homes, that um, that is one of the leading and causing factors for why children, um, why there's this increase in criminality in our communities. But in fact, when I look at the Yolanda Ford report, I don't see any mention of that. I see low educational achievement, learning deficiencies, delinquency in schools, I see for our young men, here are the indicators of recidivism. I hope you guys can see this on your screen because I have the report up now. Um, indicators of recidivism, incarceration at an early age, juvenile experiences in the criminal justice system, um, illicit drug use. You know, these are the things that uh, are contributing factors. And yet, you know, here we have a whole section, chapter five on family background and the discussion of these, so poor parenting, which we've just been talking about, parental separation and absence, parental rejection, domestic conflict and violence, child abuse, alcohol abuse in the families, drug abuse, criminality among family members. Those are all the contributing factors. I don't see anything in there from Yolanda Ford, who is a criminologist, about the fact that you don't beat your children, that's why they're going to turn out to be criminals. Why do you think this mentality, I think Soka, in my opinion, touched on it. It's a slave mentality, but why do you think it continues to be so incredibly pervasive in our communities, although it actually doesn't work and it has the potential to cause way more harm than anything else? I think it's, um, what we have is uh, evidence. Uh, you have two types of evidence. You have uh, analytical evidence, right? Mm-hmm. 
empirical evidence and he had anecdotal evidence, right? So as West Indians, no matter which island we we love we have a we have our innate love of folklore, right? Um okay. if somebody turns out um having different sexual preferences, oh you should have beat that out of him. Mm-hmm. Can't you can't beat that out of them. If someone's a criminal, oh, you should have beat that out of them. No, they're probably making them more of a of a hardened criminal. We all, I mean, don't get me wrong. We all have grown up being disciplined one way or the other. No, I don't. I don't agree with um, child abuse. Um, there's times that you have to smack your child on the hand if the if they're going too far left, right? Um, so I'm not. I'm not a proponent for just go sit in a corner. But back to that report, you could take that report and you could take the same report that was reports that were done in Bermuda and they'll say the same thing. And 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 governments end up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars collectively getting these reports done. And the findings are basically the same. You could change the name of the island. Right now, in Turks and Caicos, they're having an upsurge in crime. They're a very prosperous island. I mean, they use they use the U.S. dollars, their only dollar. Their um, what they call that? The tourism is they ha- they have more tourism now than they had before COVID. So economically, they're doing well. But it's people who are on the uh, fringes of society in the sense that they don't they aren't part of that that machine that the economic machine that are the ones who's getting involved in these crimes. So, you know, we, we don't have to keep overanalyzing. Is it this? Is it that? Is it because my child was born on a Sunday? Mm. Was it should they have been the one on Monday like Solomon Grundy? No, your child needs to, you know, excuse my language. They showed up. The child needs to learn a skill while they're in high school. I remember seeing a program by the former government under Minister Yu, where they were giving apprentices to 50, I think 50 Masons, young people trying to learn Masonry. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that program is still going on, but I'm pretty sure those that graduated from that program are fully employed, or mm-hmm. those that graduated from that program who wish to be employed in construction are fully employed in construction. And if you're fully employed, you're not got time to sit up and think, oh, who's, whose house am I going to roll up today? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whose car am I going to jack today? You're not, you're not doing that. You, I mean, you, 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 you have some violence that's domestic related that happens between fully employed people. But my point is, if you're work, you make jeopardize that trying to. So you know, we we need yeah. to. We, if, if we need to beat anything, we need to beat into our young men that they need to learn a skill mm-hmm. and start. Don't start when the year before they're about to graduate from high school. Start mm-hmm. when they are in middle school or if you how you have it set up in Cayman Islands in primary. Start teaching them a skill then. Yeah. 
So DG Trucking says, true, you're grown, you know right from wrong, and stop blaming your parents for your um, adult life. So there, there's definitely a point in time when a person has to become accountable and responsible for their own actions. But DJ Trucking, don't get me wrong, as much as I believe in personal accountability and responsibility, I also, quite frankly, understand the impacts of being raised in certain types of environments and how that will impact the quality and the outcome of your life. You know, it is so difficult. I remember years ago, I'd sit back um, when I was in probably high school and I'd watch the Oprah show. And, you know, you had all these people in there that come on. Oh, you know, I grew up in an abusive environment. And I'll never do this to my kids. I'm going to be different. And everybody says that. And the chances of those people being able to turn their lives around were pretty slim. You know, you had the occasional person who's able to do it. But the vast majority of people fall into this. And that's why we need to look at chapter five of this Yolanda Ford report, they fall into this cyclical um, destructive behavior that is from one generation to the next. That is why even here in the Cayman Islands, folks, you have educators in um, reception in year one who can look at a child and who can say, based on that child's behavior at that very young age, and a lot of it also, you know, is influenced by the home environment, parents not showing up to PTA meetings, they have no involvement in the child's education. Those uh, primary school teachers can say, this kid is going to be part of the penal system. This kid is going to be a criminal. And they do it with something like a 95 to 97% accuracy. So they can tell what the next generation of criminality or who the next ge generation of criminals are actually going to be. And the reason DJ trucking that they're able to do that, in my opinion, I think the, the report also supports this is when you look at the family environment and the structure that these people are coming from, we, by extension, as parents and as you know, people in this community, we are the ones who are raising and causing the next generation to fail. And, you know, there has to be some degree of responsibility taken for that as well. Now, when you become an adult, do you recognize the era of how your parents raised you and that you need to, as um, Mr. Famous has said, prioritize getting an education and prioritize? You might, you may, but your, your thinking might already be so skewed based on the dysfunctional environment that you grew up in that you don't value any of those things. You don't automatically just grow up valuing, like he said, instead of, I mean, instead of physically beating, this is what I'm saying, instead of physically beating your kids, you beat ideas into their head. And the way that you do that is by constantly um, encouraging them to read, giving them opportunities to read, showing them stuff, exposing them to experiences in life, right? That's the kind of beating that y'all should really be engaging in, not the physical kind. But unless children have these ideas even in their mind, how do you know how to better yourself, how to better your life if that was never a priority in your household and no one ever said to you, what, a degree? That's not even a choice. Of course you're going to university. A lot of kids don't grow up thinking that. They don't, they don't, people have no expectations of them. They're so downtrodden and beaten down. Um, somebody just sent me a message here on WhatsApp saying that a lot of these kids, um, you know, have no self-esteem. This is what someone says. What kind of homes are these young girls coming from as well? Some are looking for something that they don't find at home and they lack confidence and self-esteem. And that's true. 
So whilst I agree about personal responsibility and personal accountability, when you have an absentee father in a household, fathers need to recognize that what you're doing is you're setting up both your sons and your daughters for a very difficult life. You being an absentee parent, not having any contact with your children, especially for the female children, means that they're going to be out there looking for love in all the wrong places. And they're more likely to be promiscuous at an earlier age than the young girls who have a parent, a father in the household, or at least an active father in their lives. Those are facts. Mr. Famous? Yeah, um, this, is, this is what I would say, and and it goes back to our culture, right? Uh, growing up in the West Indies, there were many um, single-parent households. Remember, we come from a slave mentality that mm -hmm. the slave, slave masters put in us that the more children a man has in the state, the more his worth, right? So man had children all around different islands or some islands they used to call them the village realm. So did that lead to um, the criminality that we see now? No, it didn't. Um, so I'm not, I'm not discounting the need of a father or parent in their life. What I'm simply saying is that uh, single parent households are not a new phenomenon in, uh -huh. the, in our region or in our culture. What is new and, and what where we can take collective responsibility as, as islands is that we've allowed success, whether it be in tourism or uh, in the financial sector, to be the um, litmus test of if you are somebody in society, if, if you're a hotel manager, then you made it. If you are a CPA, then you've made it. Mm -hmm. And we've allowed ourselves to fall into trap that persons who work in fields that are less than that are, are, are no good. That's not a good job. That's a dirty job. And we, we, we put that narrative into our children. We put into our generation, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, well, you don't want to be doing that type of work because that's for, that's for people from wherever, somewhere else but her. And so our children, especially our young men, believe these things, mm. right? If you say something 10 times a year, it becomes the truth. And our young men believe these things and successive generations have given up on hotel, have given up on the trades. And there's only but so much room in the financial sector and, met, and much of that room is given uh, or allotted to persons from outside of the region. So what happens? We have our young men who can't get into the financial sector, mm -hmm. haven't trained to get into the financial sector, haven't trained to get into the trades. There's, there's very little jobs in between. So what they end up doing, they either end up getting on a plane, going to England, only to have to learn a trade or learn some skill there. Or they end up, no, I shouldn't say or, but some others end up in these unfortunate circumstances. So what I'm simply saying is that there's personal responsibility and there's community responsibility. We all have to be part of the solution. I know that sounds cliche, mm -hmm. but we have to change the narrative that our young men or, or young women even working as auto mechanics or working as 
air conditioning technicians, mm. or less than. When you when you instill, when you beat into your children the worth of knowing a trade, knowing a skill, it could just be IT. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, looks like his connection dropped. Um, Soka says, says, I'm still not getting the Bermuda um, right. It's Ber, not Mu, it's Bermuda. Anyway, Soka, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Miss Moya says, I was a young parent. I had my kids at 18 and 19. I just turned down, I got turned down by two HSA doctors to get my tube side, but I did finally, but I did finally did find one doctor at HSA who met me halfway to tie my tubes. And because of my age did the tube clamps, um, in the event I changed my mind that was in 2004 and it's now 2022, and I still have only the two kids. Um, thank you for sharing that with us, because again, I'm hoping that um, you know that is no longer happening. Because I think it's important that even at 19, that you have the choice to say, "Listen, I've got two kids. Um, you may have started a little bit early, but that's all you need." So, congratulations um, to you, uh, Moya, for sharing that story. And I hope that again, the HSA is no longer engaging in that policy. Uh, and it wasn't ever policy; it was individual physicians who had these ideas about reproduction um, and trying to control the reproduction of the community when they were also. Uh, not willing to help you support your children. So Aquaman says, at the end of the day, people need to be more responsible and women need to know their worth. How can you see yourself struggling and pop out uh, child number four? (laughs) You'd be surprised. Like I said, the logic is always a bit skewed, but people um, grew up in environments again where, oh, my mommy had four kids and we're all alive. And, and you're right, Aquaman, uh, you know, they're not thinking of the like day-to-day struggles that you're going through. And perhaps your burdens and your struggles would be eased up if you only had two kids instead of four. So Quincy says, um, let CBC Minister of Labor know that I'm on the BRAC unemployed. Stipend sent me an email saying that I'm being cut off because I am employed public servant. Really? Not so. Um, Quincy, what's stopping you from getting a job? You're a very talented young man. So Maybe we need to find out tourism is back up and running um, Why you're not getting a job. Now, Quincy, you and I have talked before quite openly in this program about your own issues, uh, one of which includes, um, you know, drug addiction. And that's something that you've got to get under control. I don't know if you have it under control right now, because the last time I saw you, eh, didn't look like it, to be honest. And this is a program called The Cold Hard Truth, and we speak in honest terms So if you're not under, if you don't have that under control and you're not able to get a job because of that, that needs to be addressed because let's be frank, the stipend program is going to come to an end and the end is very, very near. So um, it is what it is, folks. If you're on the stipend program, get get ready. Uh, Thank you so much, Ms. Lazarus says West Bay Primary School and Johnny Cumber. Um... She says also that a doctor told her daughter that she wouldn't have, she couldn't have the procedure done. Good morning, Miss Shirley. Good morning, Paul. Paul, um, one of your countrymen, uh, Mr. Thomas, is saying, keep up the good work, Chris. Lizette and Louis. Louis says education and awareness does provide a bigger picture 
uh, overall. Good morning, Ms. Morna. Uh, Charlene says, I agree with a lot of what you've said here, but I know of schools that have two protection officers, which are the ones in counseling, but it's difficult even if these officers do have genuine interest, which isn't always the case. It's team work that desperately needed home parents, teachers, and counselors. There's a huge void here, unfortunately, for children. So I think someone earlier had mentioned that we don't even have enough um, counselors. Uh, yes, Emma says we need more, more than one counselor in our schools and every child should be scheduled to meet with a counselor at least once a month so you can determine repetitive behaviors and then identify issues and help them at an early stage. With one counselor there for a child to sit with when they're going through something, they don't know how to handle. It needs to be people that know how to properly communicate with our children. And these kids are most often growing up where they're seeing every, and unfortunately the comma got cut off. But I think the point really is that uh, if we could get more counselors into the school system, that would be good. And I definitely, um... hi, Mr. Thomas, you're back. Yes, um, I have to leave, uh, but, uh... You know, this is an ongoing conversation. Absolutely. Um, there are several persons working in this field in Bermuda. Mm -hmm. And if you want, I can, well, I shouldn't say if you want, when you want, I can arrange for them to uh, be a guest on your show. Definitely. Um, let, me, let me say con continued lessons to the people of uh, Grand Cayman, Little Cayman, and Cayman Brack. I'll give a shameless plug, which I'm not being paid for. Your premier just gave a very good um, speech at this conference and talking about the renewable energy efforts of Cayman Islands. And your minister from the East End, uh, Mr. Rankin, is going to be giving a speech. So I'm going to go, go downstairs now to listen to support him. And one shameless plug, tune in to CMR later on. Your very own Eden Hurlston will be talking about food security on Territories Talk. Wonderful. But thank you Thank so you much. very much for everything and love to the people of Cayman Islands. I appreciate it. Thank you so much and enjoy the conference. All right. All right. So again, Mr. Famous took some time out of his busy schedule just to have um, a few words with us. So in case you, you missed it this morning, folks, um, there is a conference that is happening uh, there in Miami, and the lead speaker was none other than our own premier, the Honorable um, G. Wayne Panton, and um, it is the 14th Caribbean Renewable Energy Forum uh, being hosted um, in Miami. So um, I don't know what the venue is, but it's being hosted yesterday, the 26th through the 28th. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Mr. The Honorable Minister of uh, Finance and um, Transport is also in Miami, but he's there for another um, high-level meeting with the Tourism Association. Um, so very good. So yes, um, the Honorable Isaac Rankin is going to be speaking later on. Uh, we did have um, the Deputy Premier. Mr. Um, Chris Saunders, he was scheduled to speak, but unfortunately he has uh, tested positive for COVID and um, he is now in recovery. So of course he can't travel if he's COVID positive. All right. Um, so let's continue the discussion, folks. We've got a lot of uh, commentary coming in here. 
So it's an FCCA meeting, by the way. I was trying to remember exactly the um, meeting. But it's an FCCA meeting that uh, Minister Brian is in Miami for at the moment. So um, that's the Florida Caribbean Cruise Association. And that's part of his job, you know, to attend these uh, these events. So I'm just trying to see which, um, yes, their event is the Sea Trade Cruise Global being held um, from the 25th through the 28th at the Miami Convention Center. Mm -hmm. And then they have another event coming up in June. So this is a three-day Cruise Global um, it says networking cruise business for the Sea Trade Cruise Global 2022 exhibition starts at 9 a.m. And they have a full schedule of events that they're going to be involved in um, for that. So very interesting. All right. So let's have a look at this report. I don't know how many of you can see this, but um, preventative, proactive Measures at 5.41 says parents are the primary agents of crime prevention in any society. It is necessary to understand and embrace that concept. Once that is done, one would appreciate the critical importance of supporting parents and the institution uh, for which they are responsible, the family. Let's stop there. That's just the first sentence or two sentences um, of this pre preventative and proactive um, uh, segment here, 5.41, right? So uh, that's what I have said. That's been my personal experience. And that's what I firmly believe that it really all starts in the household um, folks with the parents. And if we can't get that right, everything else is just a Band-Aid, right? So you can't take children and put them in schools and say, well, the schools have to fix my children. You, you've broken your children at home. And then you send them out into schools and uh, you expect the teachers to not only teach your children, but to be social services, to be counselors, to be everything to your children. And then they're the ones who are responsible for fixing your kids. If you're breaking your kids at home, read section 5.41 of this report and come again. Because that is the problem. Parents, it starts at home. But rightfully so right? There has to be mechanisms in place to support the parents and to support the family. But that support will only be meaningful when you have parents who appreciate uh, what that support looks like, appreciate taking advantage of those opportunities, and parents who take their job as parents seriously and who are willing to put in the work. Not everybody is meant to be a parent. <laughs> and that's why, you know, if you got to get your, your tubes tied to make sure you're never a parent, then I'm all for that too. Hmm. Um, Scott says, unfortunately, violence breeds violence. And that's a fact. And that is a fact. You know, Mr. Um, Famous was talking about in the Caribbean, how a lot has changed. So he focused on some of the employment opportunities and how people want to look down on certain jobs. One of the interesting things about the Caribbean story is that all of these problems that we have are actually nothing new. So the breakdown of the family, right, isn't something new. You can go back to the 50s and the 60s and from the days of slavery, where they intentionally, the slave master, one of the ways in which they broke you and kept you a slave 
in your head and physically is that they ensure that they broke apart your family. Because again, even the slave master knew the importance of a strong family unit. And if the strong family unit doesn't exist, it is that much more difficult for you to have people who are going to be productive, who are going to be whole. You can't control someone who has good self-esteem. So what do you do? Just like the slave masters, you break up the family. Now, unfortunately, a lot of us have adopted that same mentality and we don't even know it. So you've grown up from generations now, you know, not understanding the importance of committing to a single spouse or a single partner, sticking with that person, having those children and supporting those children. As young men, our young men have never been taught the value of being a good father. Your most important role in life, be a good father, be a good partner, be a good husband. But sometimes you can't be a good husband or a good partner to someone, but at least be a good father, if nothing else. And those messages were not conveyed from one generation to the next. That's why you have all the social issues of people don't even know who, who they're for. Who your mom is, you don't even know. Who your dad is, mm, we got five guesses. We're going to go to the Maury Povic show and try to figure it out. Those are dysfunctional things that have contributed to where we are today. And they continue to contribute. So I'm not looking at today's generation saying that they're the problem. I'm saying that this has been a multi-generational issue for a very, very long time. There are a lot of Caymanians in their 50s and 60s and beyond who don't know who they are. They're being, they were raised by one person and that wasn't their daddy. But, you know, some people felt an obligation like, okay, I'm with your mom and mm, she's claiming this one for me. Don't look like me, look like my brother or somebody up the street, walk like this other one. But I'm going to just do the right thing. There were a lot of men who did that. And there were a lot of women who were out there uh, sleeping with two brothers, having children for the brother and the nephew and going back to the brother and the nephew. I mean, th these are real stories. Like I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not trying to out people, but I know these people and I know some of the stories and it's crazy. And my point is, you know, we talk about the issues that we're now facing. They're nothing new. We have been making poor decisions about families and child rearing and all these types of things for a really long time. So is it no wonder that the criminality continues? Huh. Miss Sue, good morning. Aquaman says parents need to be parents and not your child's best friend. And Mark says it's not only in the in the Cayman or Caribbean, it's in the USA. Yep. The interesting thing about Aquaman's comment is I often think about this. You guys know I have a daughter. She's only five and a half years old. And sometimes she wakes up. She did this on Saturday. Oh, my gosh. She's the sweetest little thing a lot of times, right? She gets up and she's like, Mommy, I love you. And I'm like, aw. She's like, I love you because you take such good care of me and you cook for me and you cook all the foods that I like. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, she's trying to express. She's only five and a half. She's trying to express why she loves me. And I'm like, oh, that's so wonderful. 
and you're just the best mom in the entire world. And she's just singing my praises. Whew, makes you feel so good when a five-year-old tells you these things, right? And so sometimes I pause and I think about it. And I know it's more than because I fix her favorite foods. I mean, she's just gotten, she just likes whatever I cook now, right? But I thought to myself, you know what this is about? I actually spend time with her. <laughs> like, you know, we are ride or die. And so I don't think that you can, I think you can be your child's best friend and still be a disciplinarian as well. Like, I don't believe Aquaman, follow me through now, because I know you're sitting there going, Sandy, where are you going with this? But listen, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive concepts, right? You can be, I think you should be your child's best friend. You should know them. They should get to know you. You should spend time with them. Fun activities, sitting down, reading, coloring with them. These are the things that for a five-year-old that best friends do. You know, so sometimes she'll be like, oh, I'm feeling lonely. And I said, okay, she's an only child. So we're very, very conscious of that. Let's sit down and do something together. What would you like to do? She gets to pick the activity. If you want to watch a little bit of TV, that's fine. We sit down and read a book. I have her read to me. Sometimes I read to her. I'm like, do you want to do your little, she has a little sticker book where you match up the stickers. Do you want to do a puzzle? Right? These are things that build a relationship and rapport with your child that you should be very, very interested in building. The old style of parenting, which I think is what Aquaman is really referring to, where you did, you grew up in more of a military style environment. And I was exposed to that. My aunt and I, uh, you guys know my aunt raised me. We were not best friends. I never saw her as a friend. She was very militant. Th these are the rules. This is what you do. You toe the line. But she was also not, like, if I wanted to have a conversation about something, like, if I even liked a boy, I definitely wasn't having that conversation with her. And Lottie would have been like, what? You looking at boys? I think there's a lot to be said for being friends with your kids and knowing that they can come to you and talk to you about anything. And it's not just this totalitarian, disciplinarian relationship that you have with your children. But it doesn't mean just because you are their friend that you cannot do your job, which is also to set rules and limitations and boundaries for them to operate by. So they're not mutually exclusive things. So she knows that if she gets in trouble, if she does something wrong, we're going to be having a conversation about it. And she might be punished. And I think as parents, we need to start to be more creative. So Ms. Morna, she said, well, you know, she used to get torn up. She used to get beating and it never impacted her. Well, I've never, I want to say two things about it. I've never met someone who was damaged because of beating, really being able to accept that that's what it was. So they might suffer from depression and other issues in their life and the vast majority of them don't make the connection even to their home environment. They're like, oh, that's just what it was. And they just accept it because of, again, familiarity. Having said that, you can raise functional non-criminals who are some of the most beautiful people in the world without having to ever lay a finger on them. Isn't that something? So why would you do it? You know why most of our parents did it? Because their parents did it and because their parents did it. And they didn't have any other option. They didn't know. So I kind of chuckled when Mr. Chris said, um, 
about not putting your kids in a corner. If you think that that's the only way that you can raise um, a child is by putting them in the corner when they do something wrong, you need to elevate your level of thinking when it comes to parenting. There's a lot of things that you can do. Positive reward is better than negative uh, feedback and you know yelling at your children and whatever, right? I've seen children traumatized, and sometimes I watch and it really disturbs me. I'm out in public and I'll see parents, you know, kids start to act up. And they start yelling and screaming at them. I can't grab you. And I'm just like, I just look and I'm like, wow, that poor kid. And that is, if that's any indication of the environment that they're growing up in, all the yelling and the screaming and the grabbing of the child and yanking them and throwing them around. And these little kids are like one, two years old. Like I've seen this. I'm just like, oh my God. Grabbing them by the ear and thumping them like I beat you. You better sit down right now. I can get that strap and I can beat you. All these threats. And I'm like, whoa. Hmm. It requires a different level of, like, you have to be creative and you have to think differently about how to get through to your kids without all of that. I don't even like to raise my voice at my daughter. I got to be honest with you. You ever notice that when a child is upset, not even a child, an adult, is upset and you try to have a conversation with them. First of all, timing is everything. The worst time to have a conversation with someone is when they're crying and they're upset and they're having a moment. Sometimes you just gotta let them have their moment. Cry it out. When you're done, we'll talk about it. When a person has calmed down, right? And they're no longer in that emotional state, you are more likely to have a productive conversation with them. And that's true whether that person is a child or an adult. So sometimes you got to just let your child wants to throw a tantrum, let them go at, go at it. They're still figuring out life. They're still figuring out feelings. And when they're upset, they don't know how to control it. They don't have the regulation of their emotions and so forth that we as adults with 30, 40, 50 years of experience do. So I'm not going to judge a child by the same standard that I would judge an adult. I'm like, you know what? You want to have a moment? Go ahead. When you're done, then we need to talk about this. And we're going to sit down and I want you to tell me what's really going on. Why are you upset? How are you feeling? How many of you have ever said to your kids after a tantrum, why, why, what happened? Tell mommy, what, what's wrong? Sometimes they don't even know how to express it, but have you even bothered to ask them? And this comes with some of these parenting classes that I keep saying we need more of. You learn these different techniques of talking to children age appropriate at different ages, different levels, having conversations with them. There are games that you can play with children that help them express themselves to talk about the different feelings that they have. There's nothing wrong with feeling anger. That's a natural human emotion. There's nothing wrong sometimes with being lonely or not having confidence, right? Your response shouldn't be to yell and scream at your children, which undermines them even more. It's to, okay, let's talk about why you're feeling this way and what can we do about it? How can we make you feel better? Beating a child because they're upset and they start to act out, is that really going to solve the problem? In your mind, if you beat them and they, they're still sniffling in the corner and they kind of stop because you're going to beat them some more, you may think that that's solving the problem, but it isn't. 
And the overarching message that we send to children is when you do something that I don't like, my response to you is to beat you into submission. Physical violence is the answer. So DJ Trotkin said, agree, everybody wanted to be the cool parent instead of a good parent. Now, there are boundaries, um, DJ Trucking. So I'm not in support of, you know, years ago, we were talking about some of these students whose parents were allowing them to have alcohol at a party. That's not a good parent. <laughs> and that, that, that parent is not even trying to be their child's friend. That's, that's a parent who has some destructive issues of their own. Anybody who thinks an underage child should have access to alcohol at a school party and an uncontrolled environment to the point where one of the kids got so violently sick they had to be taken to the emergency room from alcohol poisoning, that's a serious indictment on those parents. And it didn't matter to me that they were millionaires and that their kids were going to exclusive schools in the Cayman Islands. None of that matters. You're a horrible parent. Ms. Charlene says, as far as the Family Research Center, they're doing an awesome job offering classes and counseling within the establishment, but I've said it for years now that they also need to be taken um, in the schools on a monthly basis, minimum with difficult students and mandatory presence of parents' involvement. Well, I think there has to be some expansion of the services. Good morning, Eden, so good to see you. He says, this is either love, there is either love, including self-love, an opportunity, or there's hate, including self-hate and desperation. Interesting. 936-2626, 936-BOBO is a number. Moya says, as we are lacking uh, with our trade schools in the Cayman Islands, maybe government should add a stipulation to construction and blue-collar trade companies to be able to apply for work permits on any level if they are not able to find a Cayman in for the role. Well, I think that's already being done. But if the Caymanians are not there and the Caymanians are not taking advantage of the training opportunities. So here's the thing, right? We keep harping on, oh, there's no um, trade school opportunities. Well, I'm telling you guys that there is. This government has partnered with um, Inspire Cayman, which has trade programs, plumbing, electrical um, what's it called, HVAC or whatever. There's a number of different courses there, mechanical. There's a mechanical program for years, actually, that has been uh, going through one of the local mechanic shops here. And if Caymanians are not taking advantage of those programs, why do we continue to say that trade schools don't exist? I'm getting to the point now where I'm recognizing it's not the existence of the trade school. It's the fact that the people who need it the most, who need those types of skills, as Mr. Famous said, are simply not interested. They don't want to work. Mm -hmm. They don't see the value because they grew up in environments where nobody taught them the value of an honest day's work and a hard day's work. So they will continue to feel like it's easier to just go out there and rob you. Mark joins the conversation. He says, can someone answer me this? White kids who have done mass shootings in schools, they blame it on mental illness. But when Black people do crime, it is blamed on the home. Um, well, Mark, <laughs> what I would say in terms of that is the kids themselves, they can blame it on whatever they want. But the fact that they're being incarcerated, they're being tried in the penal system, 
as um, someone without any mental health issues and they're being incarcerated demonstrates that the system, the judges and the jury don't necessarily buy their stories. So um, people can make up excuses for all sorts of stuff. And I think we are verging on a community and a society that wants to blame everything on mental health issues these days. Not to say that it hasn't been um, underplayed for a long time, but I think that um, the reality of it is that, you know, we're always looking for someone or something else to blame. So Ms. Charlene says, or an absentee mother as well, Sandra, don't leave them out because uh, there are those two within our community. Absolutely. And to me, that's so much more egregious. I think it's bad enough when you have an absentee father, but an absentee mother, like mothers who abandon their children that they've actually carried for eight, nine months. I don't even understand that one at all. So Sports Circle 345, thank you for joining in, says, I grew up with a mother that made me know what time of day it was if I was disobedient. Today's kids have too much freedom. Social media is influencing them. Well, I think I think they have um, freedom, I guess, is one word, but it's lack of controls. It's lack of, of um, discipline. You know, you can't give someone unfeathered access to social media or even just a phone and not know what they're doing with that phone and, and what they're on with. As a parent, it is your responsibility to ensure that if you're going to give your children a phone, that, um, you know, you know what they're doing with it. So Ms. Sandra Miller, Winter Park says, Indigenous, all third generation, both parents are Caymanian, should be encouraged to have lots of children with full support from the government, e.g., uh, full support, food, education, medical, and stipend for housing to meet a lot of true Caymanians in one place, just go to Georgetown Hospital. So are you suggesting that um, if you are an Indigenous or third-generation Caymanian, you should be having children that you honestly cannot afford and it becomes the government's responsibility to pay for your children? <laughs> what kind of socialist mentality is that? If you choose to have children, that's your job and your responsibility. Yes, government sometimes has to put uh, programs in place to help people who, um, you know, may not be able to fully make it. But I don't think that we should be encouraging people to have children they can't afford. That's part of the problem that we're having right now. And I'll be quite frank with you. It's a lot of those same Indigenous Caymanians who are doing that because they have this expectation that somebody else is going to do it for them. Nothing in life comes for free, you know. So when we are demanding these things of the government, who's paying for it? Someone like me who only decides to have the one child? I shouldn't pay for your decision to have four and five children that you can't afford. Hmm. Aliana says the judicial is the biggest culprit of fostering this epidemic and social destruction. Hold men and women accountable um, for raising their kids. And he doesn't agree that you can be a child's friend, that you have to be a parent. So he thinks that it's one or the other. Soka says, my mom was my friend, damn it. I'm my daughter's friend, damn it. <laughs> oh. Folks, there's you can do both. You can be a parent and be a friend at the same time. Jonathan says, I don't know about you all, but I think there are some kids out there 
that need a good uppercut. Jonathan, no. What ends up happening is, I'll tell you why parents feel that way, Jonathan, maybe why you feel that way, is by the time they get to those teenage years where they're completely out of control, right? And now you're saying that, yeah, they need an uppercut. That is because they've been allowed to go for 10, 12 years with no controls in place whatsoever. And this is what I'm saying. You don't take a bonsai tree or any other kind of tree and try to mold it when it's fully grown. That's an impossible task. You start from day one. The baby comes out, right? You start teaching that child what's acceptable behavior and what isn't acceptable behavior from the onset. And if you do that early enough, you will find, and if you're consistent with it, this desire to have to beat children, it, it disappears. But you've got to have the parenting skills from day one to be able to do it. And I find that, unfortunately, a lot of people simply do not have that. And that is the problem. Marshall says, I would normally hear parents telling kids, you better shut up. Or I'm going to give you something to cry for. We've all heard that. Odella says that anything ever come from that lack of parenting access to alcohol at a teenage party? Nothing. The police did nothing, which I think this was a matter for the police. Um, the parents of the young lady who almost died left the jurisdiction. They left the country and went back to, um, I can't remember where they had come from. I think it was TCI or somewhere else. So they left and went back. And, um, you know, other than the public shaming, I guess, on CMR, because the stories are still there. Uh, nothing came of it. Um, the mother of the young lady um, had my husband fired from his job at the time. That's what came of it. <laughs> Seriously. All right. We've got a caller join the program. Good morning, caller. Thanks for calling good, the cohort. Good morning, Miss Sandro. How are Hi. you? Hi, honey. How are you? Good. Um, good. You know, just, just looking back, I'm from the old school. Yes, ma'am. You know, we, we used to, we grew up with with these sayings like, you know, a child reflects a home. Yes. And children live what they learn. And it is unfortunate that, you know, many children, they're, they're conceived out of passion, the passion of lust, you know, and, and whether it's a, a moment or what have you, but the actual essence of love mm -hmm. is not there because they mistake passion for love. And then, you know, when the child comes and the frustration, the disappointment, the anger, all of these things are fed to the child. Mm -hmm. Many of them, you know, the father is not even around and, you know, the father is being cursed. And so they grew up with, with this attitude towards men. And, you know, it's a seed that you sow to a child. Mm -hmm. And it, it is sad, you know. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's just, it, it saddens my heart. The generation that is up now because as i say the food that they eat you know the anger the resentment you know the disappointment the frustration all of that but as you say the, the one and one bonding love is time love is positive impartation to, mm -hmm. to the child so that's just my little bit there but you know to remember that children live what they learn you know, and a child reflects a home. You can tell what home a child comes with. Just watch their, their demeanor. Yeah, so absolutely. It. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, my dear. I appreciate that. Okay. Okay, dear. So um, thank you to that caller. So, yeah, I agree. 
uh, with everything that that caller said, that children often, um, 99.9% of the time reflects the home environment that they came from. There's always one or two little anomalies, right? So there are kids who come from absolutely wonderful homes. They've been loved, they've been disciplined. And boy, there's just something different about them. (laughs) But what does the Bible say? That um, raise up a child in the way that it it should, and it's not going to depart from that. And even if it departs from that momentarily, the children will come back to the fold. You know, they'll, they'll go back to their foundation, the base, what they have learned. But I think too many parents are looking for an excuse not to raise their children, not to do all the things that they need to do. And then still want to end up blaming the children for that. So going back to this report, I just want to read a little bit of this. we got a few minutes left in the program. And then I do want to change um, and talk about a few other things that's happened in the community. But it says here that parents are potentially the primary agents of crime prevention because they're the primary agents of socialization, the process through which patterns of behavior are first learned. Wow. That is a sentence that is so incredibly powerful. This report goes on to say it is also the process through which values, norms, and societal mores are passed from one generation to the next or to the other. If this process breaks down and the family becomes dysfunctional, then what would be transmitted are anti-values and anti-social as opposed to, sorry, as opposed to pro-social norms. And one could expect problematic behaviors to flow from that household. Everything, therefore, must be done to prevent this from occurring. But how, one may ask. The answer is through family support programs, interventions which aim to strengthen families and improve the quality of a child, improve the quality of child rearing, which occurs in the home. The advantage is that such interventions also yield multiple preventative benefits and in that regard can be viewed as highly cost-effective. So that's 5.41. Let's end... um, this particular discussion with that. And I do want to um, pick up on um, a few other things. So there's been a photo that has been circulating of a man lying on the ground who um, people say, um, oh, sorry. One person says, morning, oh heart. Why the police uh, don't release the footage of the killer so the public can help identify them? I can't answer that, but I will certainly ask the police. One more person says, I agree with you 100%. Parents should be friends with their children. You are the first person they know, but you have to also be their disciplinarian and people struggle with this. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think, again, people think that they're mutually exclusive. Um, Oh, no. We had a death. One of our MPs' parents passed away. Oh, my gosh. All right, let's not make, um, let's not name that yet, but... Mm-mm. Wow. Oh, going to be a tough, tough moment here for some additional families. Uh, the person has been sick for a while, though, but very sad. Okay. Um, so listen, folks, there has been a photo that I received countless times yesterday of a man they say is a shark um, victim. He's got a big bite taken out of his leg. Um, I can't show it to you because I know some of y'all are super sensitive. And people were saying that this happened at Smith Cove. And they were asking me, did this really happen at Smith Cove? Uh, No, that's not Cayman. Let me tell you how I know. If if that had happened, you would would not be asking me if it had happened in Cayman. You would know without a doubt 
because we live in an environment, folks, people would have been out there uh, videotaping it as it happened. They would have sent it, send that to me from Smith Cole with a Caymanian accent in the background a million times. It would just not have been some random photo with people saying, um, you know, is this Cayman? So no, it's not the Cayman Islands. I don't know which country it is. Uh, it definitely looks like a shark bite. Um, someone says it happened in San Andreas a few weeks ago. There you go. Thank you so much. I appreciate the clarification of where, but I just knew it wasn't the Cayman Islands. So stop sending it around. Somebody attached it to voice note, and this is how things happen, that said it was uh, it was Cayman. And I said, nope. I feel more than confident that that is um, definitely not the Cayman Islands. All right, so we can put that rumor to bed. Thank you to that um, avid listener to the program who at least was able to give us a fix on where on where it is. Uh, let me just see what else we had going on here. Um, so like I said, we just had a death um, in the family of one of our legislators. So we will um, post it up a little bit later on and send out some condolences. One person says, as it pertains to dissuading kids from becoming young parents, the most effective method is comprehensive sex education. In the Southern US, where absence-only programs are the norm, the age of first intercourse is 12 to 13 years old. In the Netherlands, where there's a comprehensive, age-appropriate information from elementary school, the age of sexual intercourse is 19 to 20. Talking to kids about sex helps them to make better decisions and understand consequences better. Wow. That's powerful. And I know Cayman is a uh, absence-based community because of our religious affiliations. So we believe that that's the only way. And um, I think that it is interesting because some of the most prolific people, young people having babies, young, whatever, are those who were raised up in the church. The irony of that has never been lost on me. And now it makes perfect sense because we have um, data-driven, right, evidence-based information here that shows that when you rely on an abstinence-only program, you have children engaging in sexual intercourse some five, six years earlier, age 12 and 13. Hmm, what a mess. Thank you, El Ray. Uh, Sue says teenagers are hard work, but when are kids, but there are kids to help them through growing up. And it's not just teenagers, but I think all children um, are hard work, you know? So um, it, it's just, that's why you, honestly, I don't know how people have like all six, seven, eight, nine, ten children in this day and age. Because I just don't know how they do it. Um, Al Ebank says, growing up with my mama, every other word out of her mouth was F this and F that. She told us that if she ever heard us use those words, she would slap them back into her mouths. Out of seven children, none grew up saying them. I'm curious, though, Al, why did she say it? <laughs> I mean, probably the, the best way to um, to teach your kids is not to threaten them with washing it out of their mouths, but just don't do it. Lead by example. You know, I've, I, you know, y'all know sometimes I can have a little bit of a potty mouth depending on the situation. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, around my daughter, I just don't, I make sure I don't say it. 
Although once I'm going to be completely honest with you. One time I slipped out when she was a baby and she was in the back seat. And, you know, sometimes you're driving with kids, you kind of forget that they're there. And she was very, very young, but starting to learn words like she was listening. And I said a particular word and um, she repeated it immediately after me. And I was like, oh, 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 my husband does not use profanity at all. And if I even say like the BBC word, bumbleclot or whatever, which I think is kind of funny. He's like, what? Why did you say don't say that word? And so I'm like, ooh, if Marlon hears this baby saying that particular word, he going to be like, where did she get this word from? So I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, when she said it, I didn't I didn't respond. I was like, hmm, let me crank up the radio a little bit more. <laughs> because, you know, at that age, if you overreact to it, then they understand that, ooh, this is something that elicits a response. So I didn't respond, but I, I adjusted my behavior. Al says she just had a nasty mouth. Um, I adjusted my behavior so that, um, you know, I don't say certain things around her. But you'd be surprised at what kids do. Um, you know, yesterday at school, her teacher said, we get these reports every single day. And they, they love her. She's like, oh, she's so pleasant. She's so well-mannered. She says, yes, ma'am. And, you know, and of course, like when she first got started as a baby, even before she could speak, we'd give her something and we would say, thank you. You know, she wasn't even speaking yet, but she was understanding and listening that somebody gives you something, you say, thank you. You ask for something, you say, please. You say, yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. So by the time she really started talking, that was part of her um, vernacular, part of her vocabulary. So when she started going to school, they were like, oh, she's just so pleasant. But, you know, sometimes she's only five and a half years old, folks. Sometimes they slip up. So we got a, I got a report yesterday that she called a little kid stupid. She's like, whatever his name is, so-and-so, you're stupid. And um, they said, you know, we're not upset about it because... She actually self-corrected. Like she said it and immediately she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. And she apologized to him without being prompted to do so. So, hey, we all slip up. Y'all don't think sometimes I'll be calling people around here stupid? Well, a few times they are stupid, but you know what I mean, <laughs> right? So sometimes we say things and we're like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I'll apologize to my friend or whatever. Although some of y'all really jackasses of the day, you know, we're not apologizing for that. And some people really are kind of stupid. So I was sitting there going, oh, so they said, you know, we're not making a big deal about it. We had a word with her, but we're wondering if you could just enforce it. And I said, yep, I will. So on the drive home, I had a conversation with her about it. Why did you call him stupid? What was the situation? I want her to explain it to me. And then I mentioned it to dad. And I said, dad, hey, you know, this is what happened at school this morning. Can you reinforce it? Can you have a conversation with her? Because dad does the drop off in the mornings and I do the pickups. So my dad, can you have a word with her about, you know, that we don't call people stupid? Although sometimes I'm thinking that I do call people stupid, but, you know, I don't do that in front of her. And, um, you know, so he's like, yep, he'll talk to her. And it's like you're, you're as parents, part of your job is also tag teaming your kids, right? So it's not just the mothers who should be the disciplinarians or whatever. Um, the fathers are part of the child rearing process. So my husband needs to be able to have a conversation with his daughter at times. I will have a conversation with her and we're constantly reinforcing it. Um, El Ray says stress. <laughs> Sue says yes, hard work from young too. 
Um, Jonathan says, I'm sure if I had five kids, that probably the only word that'd be coming out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, you're so funny, Jonathan. Um, Emma says a lot of these young girls having kids at 16 are doing so looking for unconditional love that never existed in their lives before. And then they get a child, the unconditional love is there from the child, but the mother doesn't know how to return that love. Yeah. You don't, you don't have a child to get love from the child. I mean, it's great if you're getting it, obviously, but thank you. Seymour Ramsey says the base of the problem is a new generation of kids glorified glamorous lifestyle of the sinners and the wicked. Well, like I said, our problems are not new. So I don't know. Um, Seymour says laughing out loud. Apologies for the jackass. No, no apologies for jackass of the day. You've earned it. Silka says, I love cussing. Oh, here you know. Folks, that's the end of our program. Thank you so much for tuning in today. You guys have a fabulous day. We'll be back tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, bright and early at 7.30. Work hard. Don't rob anybody. Don't steal from anybody. Say some positive words to a young person, and we'll see you guys tomorrow morning. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. 